the words that I sent in an email this past week started with Ken's top five since 2005, since the year that I moved to the Philadelphia region to begin the process of starting Wellsprings. Number one, getting sober. Without that, nothing else in my life that is good is possible. Number two, marrying Teresa. It's not even our anniversary or anything, you know. Number three, launching Wellsprings, our 10th birthday celebration. Woo! Last week, wasn't that something? And aren't we something as we continue to grow? Number four, the marriage equality ruling. Such a powerful, yeah. Such a powerful moment in the life of this country in terms of defining ourselves in terms of this progressive and big-hearted vision of who we can be. Dare I say those were more promising days back then. And number five, drum roll please. Oh, come on. That is the weakest ass drum roll. Come on. Come on. Come on. Drum roll please. Spotify. (laughs) And some of you are saying, what the hell is Spotify? (laughs) Thanks, Carl. Spotify, the totally legit legal streaming music service that for $11 a month, $11 a month, you can download and carry with you any of a hundred of thousands of songs. Spotify, which has allowed me at age 46, almost 47 now, to have some semblance of what's actually going on in music these days. Because the truth is, I knew a lot more when I was 36, I knew a lot more when I was 26, I knew a lot more when I was 16. It is tough to keep up and to consider oneself musically fluent. And so Spotify allows me to do this. So this is not an overstatement. You didn't clap for Spotify, you clapped for Carl, which was great. You ought to clap for Spotify. I'm showing for Spotify here. It's amazing. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread. It actually totally kicks sliced bread's butt. So one of the things that Spotify helps me do, as I said, is kind of explore artists who normally I probably wouldn't get a chance to. And so recently I've been working through the catalog of a band called the Mountain Goats that some of you might know associated with uh, really the, it's a brainchild of a guy named John Darnielle who is a singer and a songwriter. He's also an author. Like his most recent novel came out this past week and it's getting all kind of rave reviews. The thing with John Darnielle is that his songs are more short stories than they are songs almost. He draws you into a world skillfully that maybe you didn't know anything about. He does it with humor. He does it with absurdity. He's a church-going guy, but he does it fairly sacrilegiously at a regular pace. And... For an example, there's this song off of one of his albums that was released in like the late 90s, early 2000s that he recorded on a tape in his his basement. And it's called The Best Ever Death Metal Band of Denton, Texas. The Best Ever Death Metal Band in Denton. And he creates this world that I don't know. First of all, I don't like death metal. I've never been to Denton, Texas. And yet, because of the power of the words that he writes and sings, he invites you into this situation of these two friends who, in the middle of the Bible Belt, decide that they are going to be the best ever death metal band of all time. And so they start drawing pentagrams on all of their instruments. And this starts to get them noticed in the middle of the Bible Belt. And... 
the song takes a turn where one of them is sent away to one of those, you know, quote unquote schools for kids who are troubled. And it actually starts to become something of a heartbreaking, no longer an absurd kind of song. And there's this wonderful line. This is what great writers can do. He sings, when you punish a person for dreaming his dream, don't expect him to thank or forgive you. The best ever death metal band out of Denton will in time both outpace and outlive you. That is a sweet, look at how well that is crafted. So here's the thing with John Darnielle. He just doesn't see into other people's lives with a sense of acuity and perception. As he has deepened his life as an artist, he's shared more of himself over the years. And so he has an album, mid-2000s, called The Sunset Tree, that is painful. It's a difficult album to listen to. It's beautiful. And I just want to give a little caution here. Um, It's an album, and the lyrics I'm going to read are about his relationship with his brutal stepfather, who was an active alcoholic. It is a powerful recording and a painful one. Because sometimes his lyrics can be a little arcane, they kind of get your notice that way. He's got one song on there that I think of all the hundreds of mountain goat songs that there are. This is my favorite. It's called, Hast Thou Considered the Tetrapod? Hast Thou Considered the Tetrapod? Which, if you haven't been in an evolutionary biology class in over 30 years, which you would count me in that category, you've got to look up what a tetrapod is. And it turns out the reference point, the tetrapod is this precursor evolutionary creature that swam around and didn't quite have its well it had its sea legs i guess i just thought of that right now it was getting its sea legs eventually they'd become its land legs and so this question hast thou considered the tetrapod is in fact about evolution the story told in this song with the odd name is about the teenage john darnielle arriving home and accidentally waking up his drunken and belligerent stepdad, and getting beaten by him. And as I said, it's a painful song. And the last lines are this. Held under these smothering waves by your strong and thick-veined hands, but one of these days I'm going to wriggle up on dry land. That's what this message series is about bouncing back about resilience about the capacity to grow that's the brilliant thing in that song it uses grand scale millions of years of evolution for the writer to remind himself the child who was beaten that he can grow beyond this that he is not the sum total of the worst things that have ever happened to him This is one of the core aspects of bouncing back, of living a resilient life, that we get to tell our own story. So many people, because of pain, because of hatred, because of fear, live inside of merely the stories that was given to them. Or they assume that the worst thing that ever happened to them is who they are. Resilience is all about being able to tell our own story and hopefully our story in such a way that it connects us with other people in healthy and wholesome ways. But it begins in knowing our story with integrity. I mean, this is really important for me personally, incredibly important. Words like recovering alcoholic, recovering addict. Until too long ago, those are words like, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Like, you know, the way we talk about cancer or something. 
sotto voce. But now, because many of us have chosen to tell our stories unashamedly, something that used to be an, make us an object of derision or the object of someone else's story about us has become our story told with integrity, told with honesty. I mean, you know, LGBTQ, especially if you grew up, you know, maybe a little bit older than me, you can remember when that Q, that word queer was an epithet. It was an act of violence against people of different sexual orientation or different gender expression. And yet, especially people younger than me who are part of the LGBT community now claim that Q as part of their identity saying, no, you will not define me larger world that wants to diminish me. This is who I am and I will claim this identity and I will tell my story with integrity and honesty. This is that growth mindset that is so essential to resilience, to bouncing back in the midst of the many challenges of our lives, telling a bigger and a better story when we could tell a very small, fear-based story. Here's the smallest story in the world I'm going to tell you. It is four words, and it is unfortunately played out over and over and over again in our lives. You've heard these words from this pulpit before, from me and Reverend Lee. I didn't come up with them. The smallest saddest story in the world goes like this hurt people hurt people hurt people hurt people the damage done to us is damage that we end up perpetuating onto others replicating pain not bouncing back but breaking down harming ourselves harming other people trapped in an old story that's a small story And a sad story. And it's a story I've been thinking about a lot in this past week since the travel ban was announced, which now is, from my perspective, fortunately on pause because of the words of a courageous federal judge. Why is it on my mind? Because it is an old, sad story. There's nothing new here, folks. That old thing about those who don't remember the past are condemned to repeat it. We are right here, right now, in one of those moments. I mean, you remember your American history in high school or college, whatever it was? Remember, there was a whole political party in the 1800s, the Know Nothing Party, dedicated to ridding the scourge of the Irish and Catholics from America. Folks, if you want to upend some of our ideas about race being fixed categories, read an amazing book called How the Irish Became White. Race has always been a fluid thing in this country. The Know Nothing Party, the Chinese Exclusion Act, the Red Scare, the Palmer Raids, Japanese internment during World War II, 100,000 citizens of our fellow citizens being stripped of liberty and property. The thousands of Jewish refugees trying to get entry to America only to be returned to Europe during World War II and almost all of them eventually dying. Sadly, folks, this is part of us. This is part of America. This is part of what we do in times of stress, in times of seeming diminishing prosperity. We have looked for others to blame and others to scapegoat, and others to be sacrificed. 
And by the way, this time is not any new. Don't believe the lie. This time is not any new. Go back and do the history reading for yourself, folks, so you can take my word for it. It's the same concerns about that them with their ways will change our ways. They are violent. They are crime-ridden. They are religiously not like us. It's the same story. Now is like then. And we can pray and we can act <laughs> so that it is, doesn't have to be repeated. Because eventually, most of us move on and recognize, you know what? God, that was ignorant. <laughs> we should not have done that. But we're doing it again. But, you know, Americans aren't really that different from every other group of people that have called themselves a country. <laughs> this happens in the history of our world. It happens in countries. There's a wonderful teacher, a wonderful rabbi named Rabbi Michael Lerner. Some of you might know him. He's the editor of what's called Tikkun Magazine. It comes from the Hebrew, Tikkun HaOlam, to heal the world, a call of progressive Judaism. Well, Michael Lerner says that, in fact, in the Torah, the first five books of Moses, if you've ever been to a synagogue, I can still recall it, Bar Mitzvah boy that I was many, many years ago. In back of the, you know, this isn't called the pulpit, it's called the bima. In back of the bima where the screen would be, there's the arcs. There's the covenant and holds the, the ark holds the, 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 the stories, the sacred stories, the Torah. Rabbi Lerner says that there are two voices of God in the Torah. One of those voices is about antagonism and is fearful and belligerent and is suspicious of outsiders and seeks conquest and domination. Fearful of the pain of the world and not wanting to experience any more pain, they react with violence and fear. But there is another voice of God in the Torah, Rabbi Lerner says. It's the voice you can hear in these words. Remember, the ancient Israelites hear this, hear their God speaking their words to them, these words. Remember, for you were once slaves in Egypt. And so remembering that you were slaves, do not oppress the foreigner who is in your land. I love this because it's like the ancient Israelites heard the voice of their God hearing Yahweh say, guys, folks, bounce back. <laughs> Don't just live out the old story of the worst thing done to you perpetuated on to others. Don't do that. Tell a better story, a kinder story, a more inclusive story, a more big hearted story, because that's how you'll heal. If not, you will just pass the pain along. There's lots of folks giving voice to this right now. One of them, probably I'd say one of the top three to five teachers we've had here at Wellsprings. Never been here at Wellsprings, but you'll recognize her name, most of you, Brene Brown. She posted this this past week. I know we all have different beliefs, but in my life I find grace and courage in Benedictine teachings. St. Benedict wrote, let all guests who arrive be received like Christ. A five-year-old detained and kept from his mother for hours. Men and women who have contributed to our country for years denied the right to return to their homes. Families fleeing persecution left to face unimaginable situations. This ban is not who we are. This is not America. And this is certainly not what it means to walk in faith. I love that, you know, we can get lost in the statistics. 
Stalin, and I don't ever quote Stalin except for this thing, um, he said not, well, actually, he said approvingly because he was a sociopath. He said, you know, one person's a tragedy. Million people, that's a statistic. I have to remember the people impacted by this. And again, thank God for that judge. Sad truth is that as much as I love Brene Brown, part of our history is that this is exactly who we are. Sometimes, but not always. There are so many of us who, if you've ever sat with your elders, some of you, some of us, know the stories. Or maybe for some of you, this is even more fresh a story than asking those who came before you. You know the immigrant stories. You know what it took to get here. And by the way, even though it's really intentioned, push back against that sign that sometimes you'll see. We're all immigrants. No, we're not. Some people, many people were here before Europeans ever came to this country. And many people came to this country in chains. Many of us are immigrants, and those stories are so powerful. It's a big-hearted story, a welcoming story. Read, um, read the iconoclastic conservative writer Andrew Sullivan, who after 25 years in America finally became a citizen in December in the midst of all this going on. And he tells this thousands and thousands of word essay about what it was like for him to make this commitment and to belong to this country. This is also us, these big-hearted stories of belonging, where the American dream is not a scarce thing, but is an open thing and inviting. And here, these words again, maybe for the first time of this figure, if you put up that slide. I mean, it's like Statue of Liberty, yeah. Been there, done that, seen that. Actually, for someone who grew up in New York, I've never been to the Statue of Liberty because when you live someplace, you never do the touristy things. But hear these words, maybe for the first time, really allowing them to sink in. The words of the poem. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land. Here at our sea-washed sunset gate shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning. And her name, Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. Keep ancient lands your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shores. Send these the homeless tempest toss to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Yeah, we could say that was nice then, you know. If any of you have uh, traveled in Europe recently, you know, or I would say actually the last 50 or 60 years, you'll go to these beautiful, beautiful churches. Wow, they're amazing. But they're not churches. They're museums. <laughs> they're filled with tourists. They're not filled with active worshipers. We could turn that into something from the past. We could turn those beautiful words, the new Colossus, to something from the past. Or we could ask ourselves, is this going to be a living scripture for us now? Recognizing how the now is the successive adding up of all the moments before us. Because this is also who we are. Big hearted and welcoming. Remembering that at our best, 
of who we are. Especially in scarce times, especially in fearful times, especially in times when hate starts to reign and suspicion starts to take hold of our hearts. We can remember that the opposite of scarcity is not abundance. The opposite of scarcity is not abundance. The opposite of scarcity is hospitality. You know, you know all those moments, you know it individually. And maybe you're hurt, your heart wants to grow hard and you start to kind of move back move away and you cut yourself off and then you wonder why you're so lonely and you wonder where is everyone it's a natural thing to kind of clam up but in those scarce moments to take a step toward to remember hospitality to open rather than to close the opposite of scarcity is not abundance it is hospitality That's why we do this every single week here at Wellsprings. It's why I'm going to ask you to engage in this practice. The folks at 930 were, eh, from what I could tell, a little bit good at this. Not so good. Um, Don't tell them. You all are going to be great. I'm going to ask you, after the service, reach out. Literally, folks, reach out to someone you don't know well yet. You know, if you're introverts, you can just... Stand there muttering to each other, not making eye contact, staring at your shoes, <laughs> saying, oh, my God, this feels so unbelievably uncomfortable. And then make a joke out of it, you know. Practice hospitality. It's so much easier to share and to love the story of hospitality out there if we use this, this being in spiritual community, as an opportunity to practice a deeper hospitality in here. And it leads to larger aspirations. I'm looking at some of the faces who are in the room when uh, we talked about this next thing, which is um, the new outreach team. And that's kind of the positive stuff. And you'll see some stuff on here and you'll probably see some curse words because this is Wellsprings after all. Well, let me tell you what came before that, before all these words. The first question we opened with was facilitating this conversation. The first question I asked is what's breaking your heart about what's happening right now in this country? What's breaking your heart? And folks, there was a lot of heartbreak. We filled up an entire board. Then we asked a question, where does that heartbreak come from? What are the harmful values or attitudes that's giving rise to that? And we named a lot of things that just kind of deepened the heartbreak even more. And that room got very heavy. And one person asked, "Um, we're not going to end on this note, are we? And I said, no, absolutely not. We're not. So we moved on to the final one. Connection. Love. What's the opposite of all those harmful values? And all this stuff just poured forth from us. And in one of the most hopeful moments that I've had in the last couple of weeks, this orange board, we ran out of space. The other ones had two columns. This had three. And yeah, you see up there, badass, unconditional, radical acceptance. That may end up being the name of the team. We're not sure yet. <laughs> Outreach is a little too tame, perhaps. And like I said, all you were like hunting. Where's the curse words? Where's the curse words? You'll see. (laughs) Here's one of the cool things is at the end or towards the end. Actually, there's like a fourth column there beginning. Started to ask, what are the stories? What are the bigger, better stories of these positive attributes? And we started to name like, like the force, like Star Wars, Bill and Ted, be excellent to each other. Any of you remember that? It's like a very, eh, it's a very Gen X thing, I know. <laughs> to live inside of bigger and better stories, we have to remind ourselves of those bigger and better stories. 
the ones that remind us this is us. I've been working my way really slowly, really, really slowly through Harry Potter. I'm back in school right now. Life is busy. I don't have a ton of time. So I read a few pages a night or something like that. And what I love about Harry Potter, it's a bigger, better story of resilience. That's why it's so incredibly powerful. Kids' lives are difficult. Kids' lives are challenging, right? That's why so many kids, and that's why so many adults, too, love the story of Harry Potter. Because he is, as we know, the boy who what? The boy who lived. And it's not just that he lived. It's that he thrived He came to inhabit his own story and not a story that shut him out from other people, a story that connected him with other people, a story of magic that was based in love, that was based in belonging, that did not choose to segregate others out. That's a big story, and it takes practice, takes aspiration to remember to be the kind of us that heals and helps. And so this is the part of the message that some of you I know have been really waiting for, saying, when the hell is he going to get to it? Come on, Ken. Yes, this is us, is one of those stories. (laughs) I can tell from your laughter that some of you are very fond of this new show. I got to tell you, I resisted for a while. I like my television a little more edgy. Um, I like it. I like it a lot. I'd I'd say I rank it somewhere seven and a half to eight stars. It's not ten. That's breaking bad territory, folks. You know, it's not there yet. But I, I love the energy that this is us is about. It is big-hearted, and from what I can tell so far, I'm only five or six episodes in, it's the kind of story that welcomes complexity. It's the kind of story that welcomes the fact that our lives are kind of messy. It's the kind of story that doesn't shy away from race and racism and this stuff that so many of us don't want to talk about. And yes, in the episode in which we understand why the show's called This Is Us, I don't think this is by accident, folks. It begins with the story of an immigrant of someone who is welcomed into this country. And so I I started to think, you know, I like to try and understand or at least totally project my own ideas onto why something is called something. So I thought, this is us. This is us. This is us. What does that mean? This is us. This is, this is U.S. This is, I don't think that's by accident. I think it is intentionally a big hearted story about belonging, about complexity, about love. Right now, for many reasons, there are small stories that we could choose to believe. There are small stories of suspicion. There are small stories of hatred. There are small stories of fear. And for many of us who are already feeling exhausted after just a couple weeks, There are small stories of exhaustion and despair. This is when believing the bigger story matters the most. The hospitality, the big story, which is the biggest story there is. It's the universalist story, by the way. There is a love so special that we don't need to be special to be loved. That it is us, that it welcomes us in and welcomes us home. And reminds us of who we really are. And who you really are. And who all of us really are. May we trust and believe and live out that story of love and compassion, justice and belonging. The world needs that story more than anything else right now. Amen. May you live in blessing. Would you pray with me? God of the belonging of all 
and the belonging to each. God, as I would envision God beyond all imagining. Who does not create the lines that we create? Healthy boundaries are essential. But still, there is something about a boundary that says, don't let this become a rigid separation because that separation will ultimately bring pain, will ultimately bring suffering. May we remember the wisdom of the spirit that is the breath that is here and right now and that says, we don't have to live according to the ways of the hurt shadowing our lives. We can this moment bring that sense of beginning again, take the breath again, expel the poisons, breathe in the love, and then breathe out more love. May we remember that to be alive itself means that first we had to be welcomed into this life. May we live our lives extending that welcome forward. Amen.